Well, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Let's try it again. Happy New Year. All right. Glad you're back this first Sunday of January. And if you're visiting, this is just a quick reminder to fill out a uh, welcome card. I don't see any visitors, so I don't think I'm going to even say this. Is that okay? <laughs> hey, but those of you who are worshiping online, maybe you're a visitor. So go to the mill.church slash welcome, the mill.church slash welcome. Fill out a welcome card. We would love to know uh, who's worshiping with us, who you are. be great to uh, get acquainted with you and your family. So if you do that, that would be great. And Devin, if you want to fill out a welcome card, that'd be great too. So I'll know how, uh, everything about you. Social security number two and everything like that, okay? All right, cool. Hey, super excited because two weeks ago in a... A staff meeting abruptly and impromptu we started talking about the year of 52 stories that we um, did roughly uh, 2013 I think it was eight years ago every Sunday during the year we had somebody different from our church family share a testimony a story of God's faithfulness and it was such an impactful year listening to people's stories that we have heard ever since. Please do that again. Please do that again. Please do that again. And I didn't want to do it again because I was the one begging people from Sunday to Sunday to share a story. And it was just hard work to fill every Sunday. But now our church is a lot bigger. I think we've kind of got the hang of this. We have a lot new, a lot of new people who have stories to tell that I'm excited to approach throughout this season and a number that didn't share in 2013. And so this morning, come on up, Ken. I'm going to introduce you to the first person to share his story in 2022, 2022. This is Ken Reason. No notes. You're going to do this oh, from the phone. heart? Oh, okay. Okay. I was getting ready to say, you really are courageous, my friend. But if my phone, like, launches across the room, it's because I got an update on my fantasy. I got a big game this week. Oh, okay, so good. Up on COVID, <laughs> I'll let you talk in the microphone so everybody can hear your great jokes, okay? Right, yeah. You're a funny man. <laughs> awesome. So Ken goes by Bubba. Everybody say Bubba. And Ken's going to start the year 2022 off with his story. This takes a lot of boldness, by the way. Ken's nearly brand new to the church family. And I called Ken and I said, hey, I know you're one of the most extroverted new people we have. Would you consider taking one for the team and being the first in 22 to share your story? And Ken, after thinking about it and maybe losing a night's sleep or two, um, said, I'm going to do it. So thank Ken again for going first, all right? I did not do that on purpose, I promise. Good morning, everyone. Is this on? Can you hear me? Yeah? Okay. Um, <clears throat> sorry, very nervous. Um, so my name is Ken, or Bubba, and this is my story. Um, I had always claimed to be a Christian and believed that Jesus died for my sins. I had gone to church, I had you know, done baptism, raised in the church, and always knew that Jesus died for my sins, but for some reason, I was not living as such. <clears throat> I had a hole in my heart, or in my soul. I, as I was reading that this morning, I was like, hole in my heart, hopefully nobody thinks physical. This spiritual hole in my heart. Um, I tried to fill it with many things, many 
a lot of immediate gratification, purchases, food, obviously. Um, but the main filler, especially as of late, had been alcohol. Um, I could never figure out why I had this hole. I had a great life this far and going forward. Um, I have an amazing wife. I have two wonderful children. Roof over my head. Again, plenty of food to eat. Um, a successful career, but for some reason, um, that was not enough for me. I had to have more. So my, uh, my testimony, my story was I didn't have a giant miracle or near-death or experience or, you know, some, some big shebang. It hit me kind of like a V8 moment or like a Motel 6, like, you know, one of those. Um, <clears throat> I was just, my wife was playing with my son um, in the living room. I was walking down to check on my daughter. We, my daughter and I had talked already a couple times that day. Um, but just going to check on her, she's playing with her Polly Pockets or Legos or something, whatever she was playing with in her room. Um, and when I walked in, she looked at me and just said, hi, Daddy, and was just super excited to see me um, and to have a conversation with me. And for some reason, that's where that V8 moment hit, where it was, um, it was just like, I've never been that excited to talk to my father, capital F. Um, I had never really, like, had a conversation. You know, it's always kind of been transactional. Thank you for this. Now can I have this? Thank you for this. Now can I have that? Um, so just to, just the conversation, there was a lot of little moments leading up to that, you know, after that V8 moment hit, when you're praying and you're reflecting, you think, okay, there you were, you know, there you were, there you were, I see you now. Um, uh oh, my phone went black, sorry. Um, so then it, that's, that's when I realized I just had never had that pure excitement that she had to talk with me that I had, um. And at that point, I almost felt a little bit of dirt go back in that hole that I was talking about, kind of like the Grinch, you know, when his heart grows three sizes. I was like, oh, man, what was that? Um, and in that moment, I'd realized that I'd been practicing idolatry. It just wasn't the acts that I was doing. It was the things that I was putting before God that I was trying to fill that hole with. And it was right in front of me the whole time. So after that realization, um, I had a really hard time with grace from God. You know, we always kind of keep a register in our head, or at least I do, of all the bad things. You know, are you taking more than you're giving? Things like that. And uh, I had a hard time thinking that God could love me and forgive me when I knew this whole time what he had done for me, and yet I still was not doing what I needed to do, and I even knew what I needed to do. Um, and so, you know, I had a hard, you know, I was almost afraid to pray because it was, it, I was scared to go through all that again. Um, and then what I realized uh, through a lot of prayer and a lot of quiet times was God uses those past mistakes um, as a way for me to see his grace. I can see, okay, I did this, but you were there. You know, this, 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 this could have happened. You know, plan A, B, C, D, E, F could have happened, but you were there. Um, so I think that he can use those for anybody that's struggling with grace. He can use those times to really show his grace, you know, that we don't un really understand it. Um, and, you know, the, the hard part was I, I battled a lot with the enemy um, with that because he uses those same issues that you have with grace to get you off track. You know, Zach talked about it last week where you have your quiet time, you all of a sudden you need to clip your fingernails. Or, you know, you want to read your devotions and all of a sudden you think of this or you think of that or you start going down this rabbit hole of all this past stuff that you're thinking about and it starts to go the way that you don't want it to go. So... Um, I would encourage you to be very disciplined and diligent. It's very hard to do. <laughs> Sometimes it's very easy to, to go down that rabbit hole. Um, and uh, and I, don't, I don't have all the answers. I, don't, I would never claim to, but I do know the one that does. Um, 
And if I can be patient and really lay it at his feet and leave it lay, I've always been a person that's laid it at God's feet and then if it's not done the way I want it to or in the time that I want it, I would always go pick it back up. All right, I'll take care of it, you know. Um, but if I really let it lay there and truly give it to God, I found there's no hole. There's no anxiety when I wake up. There's no panicking about work or panicking about what we're going to do. It's, it's at God's feet. Um, so there is no need for anything but him and his faithfulness, which is what I've been missing my entire life, uh, even though it's been right in front of me. My name is Ken, or Bubba, and this is the year of 52 stories, and Jesus is the hero of mine. Thank you. How to do? Dude, awesome. Hey, hang here for a minute, if you will. Sure. So, um, a few things, reasons I'm so glad Ken shared a story. One, because he's extroverted and bold and courageous enough to do that. But another, because his story is not finished. And you don't have to be perfect and polished to tell your story. God is still working on every one of us. Uh, we are not an end. Um, we, we are... Uh, we are continually being formed into his image and sanctification. God pulling the weeds out of our garden bed is a process that lasts our whole lives. It's not a process that ends in our 30s. It certainly doesn't end in your 30s or 40s. I can testify that. I bet people who are 60 and 70 would say it's still going on in their lives too. And so we trust Jesus to perfect us not until glory, right? And we continue to seek him we continue to try to put to death sin in our lives and give him glory and honor. So I just want to pray for you today. Sure. And I don't know that I'm going to do this every week, but I want to pray for Ken. And I want to pray for, may I do this, alcoholism in general, which is a cultural poison in Wisconsin. It wrecks families. It wrecks marriages. It wrecks homes. It's, it's, it's uh, so emblematic of... Um, so many people's story. I mean, how many of you here, I have a family member or I have a friend or I have somebody that struggled with the bottle. I mean, this is just everywhere. And I think God wants to break the back of it by the power of his Holy Spirit and a crucified Savior. And so, Father, I just pray for Ken in the name of Jesus and anybody else who's had uh, alcohol as a part of their story. Lord, I thank you for his vulnerability today. I thank you, Lord, for uh, his courage. And, Lord, you're working in him. Lord, you're filling him in, in a way that only you can fill his God-shaped hole. And, Lord, I pray that so many people who have uh, struggled with this vice, Lord, would be liberated and freed to your glory and their good. In the powerful, wonderful, mighty name of Jesus, we treasure you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you, Ken. Awesome. Well, hey, welcome again to the Mill Church. Uh, if you're new, uh, we're all new because our church is only 12 years old. So welcome to the club if you've only been here for a few weeks or a few months. Uh, we have enjoyed a short history of about 12 years, and I'm excited this morning to start a new series in a New Testament book that many love. It's the New Testament book uh, of Colossians. The book will take us, if we're studying verse by verse, which we will do, 
uh, up until the start of summer, likely. So it'll be uh, a lengthy uh, series. Um, we at the mill often go verse by verse through the scriptures. We read, and then we talk, and then we read, and then we talk, and then we read, and then we talk. That's just kind of our MO. So this study, again, um, will uh, take us uh, some time to complete, not a terribly long time, but a good, good study, a great book, read it in its totality uh, a, a week or so ago, and just really felt like God impressed on my heart that this was the direction to go the beginning of the year. This will be a two-week introduction. I'm going to talk to you for uh, a little bit this morning on... Um, just some things that we see in the first couple verses that I think are pertinent. And then next week, we're going to do a thorough introduction on the book's author, the Apostle Paul. Um, I'm really excited about that. Um, I will tell you, if you miss any sermon in the series, like if you miss any sermon ever at the mill, you can always catch it by going to our website, which will direct you to our Facebook page or our YouTube channel so you don't have to be a subscriber to some service to catch up you can go to youtube where everybody can go and find us there so this is a book written by as i've mentioned the apostle paul he's actually penning this letter believe it or not from jail from jail and it's written by uh two rather a newly planted church. So if you have your Bible along this morning or you follow along on your phone, you can open to the book of Colossians about uh, three-fourths of the way through your Bible. You can even read ahead at home if you'd like and go ahead and finish the book. I believe it's four chapters long. So first Sunday of the year in a new book, and I want to start with a story. I remember as a college kid being arrogant and braggadocious and a typical 20-something young buck, you know, hyper jock, who was at a Bible college with his buddies and experiencing freedom for the first time in my life. My first car was a red Jeep Wrangler. I grew up in the southeast, and so I would have it with the top down often, and one day, uh, my buddy, uh, his dad visited from Ohio, and he said, let's load up and let's go to Lowe's. And we went to Lowe's, and we went up and down the plumbing aisle, and we bought enough PVC for him to build something called a potato gun. Anybody ever heard of a potato gun? This thing was about seven feet long. It was made uh, in, with a tripod. It had a grill igniter attached to the chamber, and the purpose of these things, you open up the end of the, the tube, and you spray a bunch of hairspray inside, and you shove a potato in the end of it so that it takes a little chunk out of the center of the potato. You throw the rest away, and you point it not at any person. Never, never at any person, but you point it way up in the air, way out in the country. They can kill people. And you pull the grill igniter, it sends a spark into the chamber that ignites the hairspray, and the only way for the explosion to go is out the end, and it sends that piece of potato flying quarter to a half a mile. It's crazy. And so he built this thing for us, and we wanted to go out in the country to, to uh, use it for the first time. He had long since gone back to Ohio, and we loaded this thing up in my Jeep Wrangler. It was sticking out the back of the Wrangler uh, almost far enough to need to hang a red flag on it, you know, according to uh, the law, so nobody would run into it. My poor 
you know, buddy was sitting in the back with a big bag of potatoes in his lap. And here we go off to the hills to shoot this potato gun off. We had shirts off. We were smoking cigars. And I was going a little bit over the speed limit. Now, how many of you know what's going to happen next? I look in the back and in the rearview mirror, I see berries and cherries and and over uh, uh, comes into the other lane, a, a you know, sheriff's deputy, and he pulls me over, and I all of a sudden get real sweet and humble, and I say to him, you know, officer, this is the first time that I have ever been pulled over in four years of safe driving. And he says, well, you're going to get your first ticket today, Mr. Burris. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. And he proceeds to write me a ticket. And we ended up, believe it or not, continuing to go to the mountain and shoot off our potato gun. He never saw the thing in our Wrangler. But it did sour the day a little bit. Here's the thing. My heart was proud. My heart still struggles with pride. But on that day in particular, I needed an alignment. As a late teenager, my heart was uh, so full of confidence, cockiness, and I was enjoying my freedom so much, um, as a now 40-something, I would not be found dead driving around in any vehicle with my shirt off, for one thing. First of all, I blind people after a long Wisconsin winter, right? Second of all, I draw undesired attention, you know, with my less-than-teenage physique, so things aren't just, you know, quite as tight as they used to be. And so how many of you have gotten too big for your britches at some point in your life? And your heart and your actions needed an alignment check. Something to bring you back down to orbit. I think churches are like cars. I think churches are like human hearts. They, too, churches, get out of alignment. And they start to drift a certain direction. By the way, only one day into this 30-day prayer challenge that our church is going through, and I can already tell this is just going to be such a fitting alignment check. If you are not with us, you can go to the mill.church slash announcements. The mill.church slash announcements. It's not too late to jump in. It would take you 10 minutes to do days one and two. Today's only the second day. You could do one after lunch and one before bedtime. And you'd be right along with the rest of us. 30 plus people have joined us on a 30-day prayer challenge. I'd encourage everybody to consider doing this on your smartphone, on your computer at home. You can do this. And by the way, of those 32 people that are doing it, 27 are females. What is up, gentlemen? Let me just leave that there. Why are we disproportionately not seeking the Father in a new year? All to say, we see this pattern in the New Testament. We'll see it in this book today where churches get planted and then they need an occasional alignment. So a guy gets called in. He's like the master mechanic, if you will. His name is Paul. 
And he writes these letters to the churches. And he basically says, hey, guys, you're out of alignment. Here's how you get into alignment with God's will because you're drifting. Some churches, by the way, drift way too far to the right. They drift into the ditch. Their belief is that conservatism is next to godliness. And before you know it, they can even end up to the right of God himself. How many of you know that if your life has more rules than God gives you rules... If you're to the right of God, that's not a good thing. We should never be to the right of God. Let me suggest if you're to the right of God, scoot back to the left a bit. You've gone too far right. You've made too many rules. You've become so pious that you're no earthly good. You're not of the world, but you're not even in the world. You're not even around people who need Jesus. There's actually a church called Galatia in the New Testament that is more conservative than God. And Paul writes a letter to them. They're veering into the ditch on the right side. So Paul rebukes them and he says, get in alignment with God's purposes. And then of course, of course there's churches that go into opposing traffic. They veer to the left. There's a church in the New Testament that veers to the left. The church of Corinth. They are not too conservative, they're too liberal. They drink too much and, and, and at communion of all places. And they sleep with their family members. They are in the left lane. And the master mechanic writes to them and says, hey, you're drifting. That's not correct. You need an alignment check. In the church of Colossae that we're going to study, like our church, Relatively new church. They get off to a hot start. They're doing great. Wonderful people. Not a single crisis that's, that's bothering them or obstructing them. And Paul is basically going to hand them, in the book of Colossians, a driver's manual for the faith. And what he's doing, to continue with our little analogy here, is he's saying, okay, learn to watch your tire pressure, guys. This is important. That can really bite you down the road if you don't watch your gauges. Make sure your oil has changed, guys, according to the maintenance schedule. And to get away from the analogy a little bit, Paul's basically saying, here's how you, the church, can continue to be efficient and effective in the purposes and the plans of God. So it's a great book to start at the beginning of a calendar year. We're going to look today at a couple things that you're going to need if you want to grow in your faith. This is good for you who don't believe because we obviously want you to grow in your understanding of Jesus and you can play by the creek bank as long as you like. It's our hope that one day you'll fall in, but you just keep playing. Keep coming. Keep attending church. We're glad you're here. This is good for those of you who have swam in the creek, the river a long time. You've been around the flower shop a while. You want to grow and mature still in your relationship with Jesus and, and, and search and find all the hidden gems of the faith. And so some of you have been Christians maybe even for a few decades. Even for a few decades. We love you. 
We want you to continue to grow. And this is for everybody in between. So this is for all of us. So here we go. Chapter 1. We're only going to read a couple verses today. This is how we begin. Paul, to the author, is stating who he is. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Here's the first thing. I'm going to give you two things that you need to know if you want to grow in faith this year. First, you have to know who you're going to learn from. You have to know who am I going to learn from? None of us in this world, if you think about it, are born without knowledge, or rather are born with knowledge or understanding. Rather, somebody had to teach us how to walk. Somebody had to teach us how to talk. Somebody taught you how to read. Somebody taught you how to write. Not Everything we know, we taught ourselves. So many things we know, we learn from somebody else. And at some point, we make the conscious or unconscious decision, I trust this person who's teaching me. Your elementary math teacher? Your high school history professor? Your mechanic? Your dentist? Your doctor, at some point, when it comes to faith, you need to decide who you can trust in. And church family, the most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus. First, do we trust Jesus? Do we believe Jesus knows what's best for us? Whether or not we trust Jesus, Jesus fulfilled his claims to deity by forgiving people and physically healing people, and and suffering persecution, and walking on water, and forgiving his enemies. This puts Jesus in a unique category in human history, and he's truly the only one in it. He's the only one in that bucket. So do you trust Jesus? Is he one that you're willing to trust in? And then, here's a secondary consideration. Who will you trust in order to learn about Jesus? Who will you trust to teach you about Jesus? If it stands that Jesus is the most important person that ever lived, I believe he is, who do you consider a credible source regarding Jesus? So Paul begins this book by introducing himself as a credible teacher for us to submit ourselves to in regard to Jesus. He says, Paul, I'm the authority. I'm the teacher. Paul, an apostle, he even uses that word, of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, he's lending credibility too to Timothy as a teacher. He says, hey, don't forget, Tim's a good one to follow too. Don't forget, Tim's got his stuff together. By the way, there's two meanings of the word apostle. One is the office 
of apostle for those disciples that Jesus chose. There were 12 of them, it's generally thought. It's kind of arguable whether or not the apostle Paul is considered an apostle in that sense. People debate that. But it is, it is universally considered that Paul is an apostle in this sense. That Paul has the spiritual gift of apostleship. That is, he's a pastor to pastors. That is, he's a leader to leaders. That he can be trusted. You know, we teach in basic process that churches are families and churches need fathers and mothers just like families need fathers and mothers. People that bring life, people that bring provision, people that bring stability, people that bring correction, people that bring vision to a family. And I will tell you that in every denomination, and we belong to a denomination in the Assemblies of God, we have a pastor who is the local leadership. And then there is a bishop in other denominations. They call them bishops. Or in our denomination, a superintendent. Or if we look at the Bible, an apostle. That is non-local leadership. That is trans-local leadership. That is Pastor Zach's pastor. And that is who Paul is. Paul plants churches, and then he becomes a leader of leaders. That's why he writes them letters. So Paul is not, to be clear, the Colossians, the church at Colossae. He's not the Colossians' pastor. In fact, as we read further along in this book, we'll find, we'll discover that their pastor is a man by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras. And he was likely their founding pastor. He likely planted the church. He was likely the person preaching to them on the regular. But then over Epaphras is another layer of leadership that's non-local. That's removed. And the Apostle Paul is the pastor of Epaphras. In fact, Paul was not a member of the church at Colossae. In fact... It's been said that Paul has not even visited the church and didn't visit, never visited this particular church at Colossae. And so what we see in the New Testament is the issuance of church governance. Church governance. I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes about something really boring, but really important. Really, really important. Church governance. This is why it's so important in the local church setting that tools like healthy bylaws are in place. There are healthy bylaws. There are unhealthy bylaws. If you've ever been a part of a church where the congregation votes on how often to change the furnace filters. I would submit that you've been a part of a church with unhealthy bylaws. What does that invite? It invites squabbling. It invites disagreements. 
It invites everybody thinking they're the expert on every matter, which we know isn't true. If you've ever been at a church, and particularly when a church is small, we started small, where people vote every two years on who the church leaders ought to be. It's democratic in nature, which is not a biblical convention. Rather, that's an American convention that many churches have adopted and pulled into the church and want to vote on everything. So if you've been to a church where every two years they vote on a new group of of great people, maybe, but what happens? People lose. And they've been put in front of the church as a candidate, and so they leave butthurt. Are you familiar with this, this expression? They're wounded emotionally, psychologically. Some of them never come. Is that kingdom? Does that make sense? I always suggest to you that, that a church full of elections is not a church with healthy bylaws. Um, Particularly, again, if your church is small and you have a very shallow pool of leaders to draw from, so you rotate off your best and brightest and rotate on people who are green to the faith and to the local church. So here we have in the New Testament a church structure whereby a non-local leader holds the church and its pastor accountable. Let me tell you, I'm your pastor, but I need a pastor too. And I have one. Every year I fill out a report called the ACMR report. I couldn't even tell you what it stands for. Actually, Leslie fills it out. I just sign off on it. But we give like number of salvations and number of People baptized in numbers of people who attend. And guess what? If the church drops from 330 to 60 in a year's time, do you think I'm going to get a phone call? You better bet I'm going to get a phone call. They're going to say, what are you doing? You've declined 20% in a year. I just, that wasn't. Relative math. I just mentioned a different number. I don't want you to think me a bad mathematician. I'm not a great mathematician. But I'm not a bad one either. So, I will tell you, I've got a path. I need someone older than me. Someone wiser than me. More experienced than me. Not impressed with me. Although my wife, Shannon, she fills that role quite, quite often. A pastor who loves me, who knows me, and will speak into my life. Our church elders do this once a month. I take our church elders. Every problem that I can't solve, every riddle I can't figure out, and they provide wise counsel. And they provide a good frame of reference. And that's what Paul, the apostle, is doing here. By the way, from inside a prison cell. How cool is that? So let me ask you. All to say this. Who pastors you? Personally? 
Who do you invite into your life to have accountability over you? To guide you, to direct you, to chastise you when you need it? See, people who are mature in the faith, they say, bring it. Hit me in the nose when I'm off. More than anything else in my life, I want to follow and obey the Lord. Tell me when I'm veering. Tell me when I need an alignment check. Help me figure it out. I may not like it at first, but I'll thank you later. When I come to my senses. Who's older than you? Who's wiser than you? Who's ahead of you in what God has asked you to do? Who's your apostle? Who do you submit to? Because of their credibility. Because of their trustworthiness. There is a lot of contemporary criticism of the Apostle Paul. We're going to get into this next week. Particularly with churches that have veered far left. Next week I'm going to give you a more thorough character study on our author. But for now, I'll simply say this. We need to listen to the Apostle Paul. We need to listen to him. Learn from him. He's a pastor of pastors. Who is your pastor of pastors? Number two and my last point. We've got to learn. Know who to learn from. Number two, we've got to learn to discern God's will. We've got to learn to discern God's will. Colossians 1.1. It doesn't matter, by the way, how long you're a Christian. You can read the same verse over and over again and derive different meaning from it every time. We're, we're still in the same verse. Verse 1. And there's new meaning because God's word is living and active and it, and it gives you new things every time you read it. So many times I've heard somebody say, I never read that verse like that before. So now we read it again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. How did Paul become an apostle? Because God willed it. Because God wanted him. We'll get into this next week. He was persecuting Christians. He was personally authorizing the stoning of the first Christian martyr in the book of Acts, Stephen. And Jesus looked down from heaven and said, I want that guy. This is by my will. And Jesus arranges an appointment with a man named Saul. And he completely blows him away and changes his life. This was so stunning. The early church didn't want him coming to Bible studies. Why? Because two months ago he was persecuting Stephen. It's like, bow your heads and close your eyes. Everybody's looking at the corner there. What's this guy going to do to me? He's a terrorist two months ago. You've got to discern God's will. So we read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Do you think Paul was posting his resume looking for an apostle job? Do you think Paul was on LinkedIn 
searching for the right opportunity? Do you think Paul was rolling around his head, gosh, should I deliver ice cream or should I become an apostle? How many of you know that nobody signs up to be an apostle? Nobody. Nobody signs up. In fact, here's how we know when someone's not an apostle. When they sign up. When they nominate themselves for it. Paul's role isn't a job. It's a calling. That's different. There's a big difference between a job and a calling. You can quit a job. You can't quit a calling. If it's a calling, you're committed to the end. A job is something you choose. A calling is something God chooses for you. And for Paul, ministry is a calling. Paul is called by the will of God. He's certain of God's calling on his life. How in the world could this guy keep preaching and going to prison and getting beaten? How does a guy have that much resilience to get every morning, up every morning and say, you know, I think I'm going to do this again today. Without being called of God. Here's how. He knew. It was the will of God that he was called. You will do things for a calling that you will never do for a job. If your boss comes to you and says, hey, hey, Pete, we're going we're gonna to flog you today. That's what's on the itinerary this week. We're, we're going to flog you today. And, and then tomorrow, um, we're going to throw rocks at you. And then Wednesday, we're going to drop you in the middle of the ocean. And you're just going to swim until your heart's content. That's what I need you to do for me this week. So, you know, if, if you want your job, you must swim for it. Understand, this is Paul's job. And when you know it's God's will for your life, someone who cannot, you become someone who cannot be stopped because you won't quit. When the concept of planting a new church in Stratford started in Shannonized Mines, we had no money, we had no people, we had no building. Frankly, we had no clue. But you know what we had? By God's grace, we had a call. We knew God had spoken to us. And we came here and we love you. And Shannon's called to nurse people back to health. And she prayed for somebody at work just last night. And she's with people in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. She rejoices with people and she grieves with people. She's called to love and raise her children. If I'm completely honest, she is called and devoted to them in ways that I fall short. Not because the heavens opened up for her and God yelled down and her hosta in our, you know, bed was on fire by the house and God appeared to her, burning bush. Why? Because it's what God's word says. She knows God's word. One of the ways we know we're called is by reading God's word. What is God calling you to do? 
Are you reading his word? Are you listening? Are you discerning? What are you hearing the Lord say? And if you're not sure, let me say this. Most of God's will is found in his word. Most of his will is found in his word. Further, if you believe that God has spoken to you in prayer, take it to wise counsel. Take it to somebody else in your life. Take it to your pastor. Take it to your, the person who pastors you personally. Godly older people who love the Lord and serve the Lord and, and have the Holy Spirit living inside of them and ask them, did I hear the voice of the Lord on this? Or am I off? Was this my own inclination? Or was this my own intention? God's calling needs to be submitted to the word of God, and God, meaning God would never call you something outside his or in opposition to his word. And then God, God's calling needs to be submitted to the people of God who will investigate it. I couldn't become an ordained minister until all of my peers said, after two years of service as a lead pastor, this is God's calling on his life. We had two people call us during the month of December and say, Pastor, God told me I'm supposed to help a family this Christmas. I know God spoke this to me. Let's submit that to the word of God, I say as a pastor. Okay, does God say help the poor? Of course, God says help the poor. The Bible's replete with the idea of helping those who have not. Do I, your pastor, think this is a great idea? Of course I think this is a great idea. Let me simplify this. Let me make this super practical. God's call starts with a deep burden. A deep burden. Some of you feel you love children. That is a burden that God has given you. Some of you love couples who've been divorced. God has given you a heart for people who are divorced. That's a burden that can be a calling. Some of you have a deep calling for hospitality. You love to make meals for people, serve people. Hospitality is actually a spiritual gift. It's a superpower that God gives some people. Some of you have a heart for single moms, single dads. When you experience a burden, it may just be a calling. So listen. If it's God's will, he'll give you the fortitude to see it through. I'm going to conclude this service in a unique way and invite the Remuses in the Holbrooks up here. Uh, if you um, would come at this time... I just want everybody to see you and your families. Would you bring one of those Kleenexes for me, Stacy? I'd appreciate that. Did you just kill my Kleenex, Stacy?
I just want to tell you guys a quick story, okay? So, one day Jake comes up to me and says, Jay, right here, Holbrook, and says, God's calling me to start a food pantry. I know it's his voice. And I confirmed it and said, you know, I believe it's his voice too. And um, let's, how can we help? You know, and so he and Sarah started the bread barn. It's not far from their home in Arpen, Wisconsin. And they've been serving people out of it. You can sign up to go grocery shopping and every week bring an item and put it in the box, the bread barn box. This goes to Jay and Sarah and their ministry in Arpen, the bread barn, for people in greater Marshfield. Then Jay started telling me about, you know, I really think God's planning a church and God's giving me a dream about a church that's coming to Arpen. And, and I, it wasn't that I didn't want a church for Arpen, but I know God hasn't called the Mill Church to go in that direction. He's called us to go northeast, and I wasn't sure how that fit into our plan. I don't know that I responded in a way that I would be proud of today. I'm, I'm not sure, Jay, what's this going on? And, but then God started dropping these like confirmations in place, as he often does. If God wants a church started, he'll tell us. He'll get our attention eventually. And I just started, um, met Andy. This is Andy and Stacy. Remus, where are you? Come on, come, on, come on up here, Charlie. You want to come up here with mom and dad? No? Okay, that's okay. That's okay. You can hang. And so Andy and Stacy, you know, started this new worship night in Marshfield. And I attended a couple times. And I thought to myself, Man, what if Andy and Stacy became the pastor of this church that Jay and Sarah are dreaming up in their head? Because clearly they have leadership gifts and people are coming to this thing and they're singing and worshiping the Lord and, and they're naturals with the microphone and, and, and all this and that and the other. And, and I just started thinking, I processed it for a couple months. Andy's a businessman in Marshfield. One day I called Andy and I said, Andy, he loves classic cars. I said, Andy, what are you going to do when you retire? Are you going to drive around classic cars the rest of your life? Then like, <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of dropped that bomb in his lap. Like, you're, where you live, ARPA needs a church. Why don't you pray about that? And it's been, you know, several months now, and this is flying at lightning speed. And I'm just telling you that God has called these people to plant a church in Arpen. And it's been undeniable. And they're heeding to his voice. And people are going to come to know Jesus. And people are going to be baptized. And people are going to be freed from addictions. And people are going to become culture changers. As a result of people obeying the call of God. So what I want to do this morning, this is their last Sunday here. I just learned that this week. We knew it would happen at some point, but I didn't know it would be the 9th of January. They're going to start having services. I have always felt like God wanted us to be open-handed with our people. If you feel like you would like to join them, you go. God will handle all the rest of the details. Even if you want to give a year and pray about a lifetime. God will use you to help this work get started in Arpen, Wisconsin. 
Um, so I'm going to pray for you guys. I just trust. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And I just want to trust that God's going to bless them and that God's going to multiply them and that God's going to blow this thing up for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is going to require so much work and this is going to be taxing. And I just pray that just like the apostle, I pray that they would find their strength in the character of the apostle Paul. Lord, who was shipwrecked and who was snake bitten and who was beaten and who was imprisoned. And every morning they wake up and they say to themselves, Lord, I just don't know if I can do this. I pray that you would remind them of your servant, the Apostle Paul. Lord, that they would find the same strength that he found in you. The one who could have joy in all circumstances. Lord, I pray that you would bless their families. I pray that you would give them just limitless grace and hope and joy. Lord, make their, their, their excitement for you and your kingdom contagious. Lord, that the lost would be found. Lord, that they wouldn't quit. Lord, that you'd give them enduring, persevering strength. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Did any of you want to say anything? I didn't really plan on that or ask you to, but did I put anything in your heart? No, but thank you for the I don't think this is the right mic, Chris. Sorry. He got it. He adapted. No, thank you so much, Pastor Zach, uh, for just supporting us this has been a journey and um you should be super proud of pastor zach just walking through this process with us we don't know what we're doing <laughs> you know we're just we're walking it out and pastor zach has been and the mill church has been a huge part of this like this doesn't happen without the mill helping launch this so um this isn't just us going on our own the mill is a big part of this, and um, we feel that support. We're coming back to Pastor Zach for wisdom. This board here is providing backbone for this um, until we get our feet under us. So um, it it it's a it's just a, a cool thing that we're not leaving. Leaving we're we're not physically here, but we're all together, part of the same church and. You guys are a big part of that, so so thank you. And did you want to add anything else? Sure, I would just say that, just be encouraged that your leadership team here, they've got plenty of work to do in Stratford, okay? But they chose to say, we're going to also put our time in the ARPAN. And what does that mean? They just love people. They love to see the gospel of Jesus Christ spread. And they couldn't contain it. It was like, yes, you know? And so when you hang around encouraging people, it, is a, it just makes a difference in your life. We could have all sat on our couches, and we would have not got that push. But Pastor Zach did the push, okay? You know, and what does that say? He has to take, uh, you know, he, he saw something in us, but it's a risk. What if it fails, you know? 
He took a risk. And when you take a risk in God, there's always that reward. Mm-hmm. There's always a reward. you got to step out. And that's what we're doing. We're just, we don't know what we're doing. That's the biggest risk, you know. What if it totally fails? Well, so what? <laughs> we did what God told us to do. Yeah. Right? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, that, yeah. Amen. I asked them to come, I think, yesterday, not too long after I found out that this was our last Sunday here. And then this morning I called them at 7.15 or texted them and said, hey, can you be here for both services? Here's why. I wanted you guys to visibly see, those of you who are in this service, because they were scheduled to come to the second, what it looks like to obey the call of God. These are real people listening to and obeying Jesus. Amen.